Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Apparently I need a small amount more humility on the way up. (laughs) Next time clap a little bit more gently and then we'll be okay. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Uh, Thank you so much, Lord. All right. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Awesome. Well, the last handful of times I've been uh, speaking here, uh, one of the, I've been kind of hitting a similar subject. Uh, uh, again, I know uh, it's been summertime and vacation and things like that, so you guys might have missed some of it, but one of the themes I've been talking about uh, a culture of, of performance, perfection, and things of that nature. Any of you guys heard, heard us talk about that a little bit? Awesome. Well, uh, we felt some months ago that the Lord wanted to uh, address something something there, and then you know, uh, performance and perfection are interesting things because performance is not an inherently evil thing. There are, there are duties that we're called to perform in my life. And when I choose to be a, a husband and a father, there's things that I have to do to, to do those things well, right? Yeah, but then at the same time also there's things that where it, when I'm in a culture where I need to perform for love, I need to perform for value, uh, that can cause some problems, right? Right, and so... Sometimes the best way to recognize that things are present in our culture is to kind of explore those things and then compare them to what the Lord says about that stuff. Does that sound good to you guys? All right, well, before we we dive into how we're going to be talking about that today, I wanted to ask a question. And uh, this might seem like a trick question given the uh, prep that I put ahead, but I promise this one is uh, not inherently so. Um, (laughs) So just out of curiosity, a quick survey of the room, how many of you either in all or in part, decided to come to this church because you heard a message or read a book that Bill Johnson did. If that, in all in part, that was something that led to you coming to the church. Okay, great, awesome, cool. How many of you, all or in part, started coming to this church because you heard a message or read a book that uh, Chris Valentin put out or something like that, put a hand up high into the air? Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, this is a slightly awkward question, but I have a reason for asking it, so give me a second. But how many of you, just out of curiosity, in all or in part, uh, started coming to this church because of a book that I wrote or a message that I taught? Raise your hands up high into the air if that's you. Oh, well, thanks, you, Lindy. No. Okay, a few of you. That's awesome. Uh, again. <laughs> um, so we have this interesting uh, phenomenon. Now, I... Uh, I have these uh, people in my life that I have, some of them I've had the opportunity to meet, some of them I haven't really met in person, but they're people who uh, influence me. They're these people who we call uh, ministers, heroes of the faith. It's people like Bill Johnson, like Chris Valentin, like Sean Bowles, like Heidi Baker, people who, who I see the, the favor of God on, who I see have, have given their lives to the things of God and have an amazing testimony of what God has done in their life, who empower people uh, around them. How many of you have someone like that who has influenced you at some point in some fashion at some point in your life? Awesome. If not, I bet your neighbor can recommend a book or two to you or something like that. Now, I want to be, be very intentional here because I, I believe that is a good thing, and I do believe that God anoints people to have influence in our lives. Um, and I be- do believe that God anoints people to represent aspects of his kingdom in a way that invites us in to pursue those aspects of his kingdom, yeah? I-, I do think, however, that when we're in a culture that values performance, 
Um, God blessing something can also cause a response from a different part of our heart. Does that make sense? A, a different part that uh, can sometimes get intermixed. And I wanted to address, I feel, some of the issues that come up when, with the way that we engage with what we call heroes of the faith. Okay? You feel okay about that? All right. Looks slightly nervous, but it's okay. We're gonna go in. Um, so I want to pick one of the one of the heroes of the faith that perhaps gets addressed more than any other. Uh, this fellow by the name of David. Ever heard of David? He's <laughs> a pretty pretty famous guy. He was a second king of, of Israel, and uh, David was a good guy, right? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. I want to I kind of fly through David's life a little bit and just talk about who he was, talk about his story. Also talk a little bit about how he fits into the story that God is telling in Scripture at, the, at this point. Okay? So to, to, get, to start very, very broadly, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> he created this beautiful planet. He created these beautiful people in his image, and he put them in this beautiful garden that he created. In ancient language, a garden was a representation of a God's kingdom on the earth. That is what that, would be, that, is what that picture would mean to an ancient mind. And so it is this picture of God creating people, creating the earth, and planting his kingdom on the earth, planting his people in that garden and saying, hey, partner with me in cultivating and perpetuating this garden all across the earth. Some things go wrong, um, and, and the, the people are expelled from that garden. They are kicked out of that garden and uh, need to toil outside of it. Well, God's intention always was to redeem his people back to that original plan, and so he made a covenant with this guy named Abraham. Heard of this guy? Another hero of the faith. Was he a good guy? <laughs> Seemed like a good guy, right? <laughs> um, you guys are scared of any question now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not raising my hand for nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so from Abraham, this nation of Israel is, is birthed. And the, the expectation, the picture would have been, this is God's chosen people. Instead of just two individuals in a garden, God has now chosen a people to perpetuate his kingdom on the earth. To, to, to grow and develop and release his kingdom on the earth. And they have some challenges with that. It doesn't go perfectly right away. And so God sends prophets and judges, people to show up and bring correction as they go into idolatry, as they disconnect from following the way of God. Well, this goes on for a while until you get to this one prophet named Samuel. You get to, and this is obviously a very quick flyover in case you haven't guessed. Um, we are making our way into 1 Samuel um, from Genesis. <laughs> he, so this, this guy named Samuel comes. He's, he's a great guy. He's a godly guy. But, you know, his, his sons, ah, not so much. They're not. They're kind of uh, a little bit corrupt. They're using the, 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 um, the, their uh, authority to take kind of advantage and build their own wealth a little bit. And 
So the people are like, ah, we, we don't, you know, hey, you know, Samuel getting up there. We don't really want uh, these guys to take over, you know. So, hey, what if we had a king? What if we had a king? All these other nations have kings. We should have a king. That would be great. And we could be, you know, like those other guys over there. That king thing looks really awesome. That would just be a lot easier for us to follow if we just had this individual to follow instead of just this concept of, of God. This is essentially what they're, what they're saying there. Um, now, the story up until this point has been largely about how God has designed these people to be distinct from other peoples, to, to operate differently. In fact, all of the uh, Hebraic laws exist to create this distinction, to create a, a difference, a, a separation from the rest of the world to these people. And so this is uh, kind of a tension point here of, okay, we want to be more like them, Yeah. You guys tracking with the story? You heard this story before? Okay. If not, hopefully I'm filling in enough details for you. Um, so Samuel goes, finds this guy named Saul. Saul is great. He's, he's taller than everybody else. We like that. You know, that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> he's good to look at, you know, and, and he's got that leadership quality. People are like, yes, Saul. It's all about Saul. Saul seems great. Okay, we pick Saul. Um, and God partners with their choices. Um, uh, things don't go so great. Saul has some missteps. And, uh, you know, again, uh, as is kind of the pattern at this point, starts kind of uh, walking away from the Lord to, to a certain degree. And God comes to Samuel and says, hey, I would like to uh, appoint a new king. And I want you to take your horn of oil, you know, the one that we all have at our house, and go, go grab your horn of oil, go on out, and I'm going to take you. Go to the house of Jesse, goes there, and uh, here begins a pattern that, that has already been uh, established in earlier parts of Scripture where the most likely candidate is not the one that God chooses among Jesse's sons. Now, Saul was chosen because he was the likely candidate. He was tall, he was good-looking, had that leadership quality, you know. And then he goes, of course, I'm sure we've heard this story before. He goes, the oldest son comes by, the next son comes by. It's got a little twist in the story. You don't know what, that there's a, another son that's been hidden. You don't know what order he decided to bring the sons in front of him. But the whole time, Samuel's like, ah, this one look, that, one, that one looks pretty good. And God's like, nope, nope, not the one. Next one, ah, oh, this one looks pretty good too. Nope, that's not the one. Goes through all the sons, and <coughs> Samuel's like, ah, oh, you got another son somewhere that you didn't, didn't bring out here? Um, Oh yeah, David. He's out. You know, he's out with the sheep somewhere. We'll we'll get him. David comes up. Says, the Bible says that he was ruddy in in appearance. Um, the Hebrew there just means red. <laughs> just in case you were wondering, um, he uh, comes up. God says, "This is the one." Now, in in our culture, we kind of like an underdog story sort of thing. You know, so. The youngest son, the, the unchosen one, that, that, that is a good story to us. That is like, oh, that makes sense. Of course the underdog is the one who's the one who gets picked. Well, in the culture that this was happening in, this was the opposite. This was confusing. This was, this was anti the way power is supposed to happen. Is There is, a, in fact, a spiritual authority on the first son, and it's, in, it's inverting this uh, understanding of power to have this lesser, younger son, you know, be the one who's, who's brought up. So, and, and this is actually a pattern that God has done earlier in Scripture as well. And so there is this inversion of how power happens, of how authority is supposed to be passed down. And so we have, again, God choosing the unusual choice to become the king. He's anointed, and he's anointed to be king. And then some more stuff happens. Um, so we're at this point of the story right here. 
We got Saul, who's the, the, the one the people wanted, you know, the one that they chose. He's the kind of classic-looking leader, but he's not fitting the bill. He's not, um, you know, he's not pleasing to God. He's not pleasing to, to God's heart. And so then we have David come up. Now, let's just pause here for a second. So we have the people's choice, and then we have God's choice. And so we have we have uh, God's choice show up. This is God's candidate right here for, for, for kingship. So what do we expect to happen at this point? Well, this must be the good one, right? That means he's going to do all the good stuff. That means he's going to succeed. That means he's uh, not going to make maybe, you know, he's a human, of course, so he's not going to make many mistakes, right? But because but, but, he's God's choice, right? That's what you maybe think should happen, right? And so, again, we're going to speed up the story a little bit because a lot of things happen in David's life. Uh, he beats this big, tall guy with a rock. Um, you might have heard of that story. <laughs> and he ends up get, uh, marrying Saul's daughter. He gets into Saul's army. He shows great success there. Favor, favor, favor all the way through. Saul is feeling tormented. He starts playing this soft music that he learned while he was hanging out with the sheep. And he <laughs> it's like, it works for the sheep. It'll work for the king. That's not in the scripture. I'm adding that part, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> Um, the, uh, and Paul, uh, Saul is kind of relieved by this. Saul finds out that David has been anointed to be king and decides maybe I should throw a spear at this guy. Um, and Saul uh, attacks David. David is on the run from him. He's running from Saul in caves. He's hiding. He gathers together these, these mighty men who are kind of on his side and, and want to, you know, run, run with him. They're not, the, they're not the best of the bunch, you know, but, they, but, they, but he, makes, he, he makes it happen with the people he has, and he grows them into these big, you know, this big, strong army. He even has this great moment where he shows his character where Saul just by chance happens to wander into the cave that David is standing in while he's hunting him down. And falls asleep in this cave. David sneaks up under, uh, by him <coughs> and has the opportunity to kill this person who is not the rightful king in God's eyes. Who, who, um, who has been hunting him down. Who has been chasing him all, all around Israel. Who has mistreated him after he served him well. He has him under his power. He could take his life right then. And David does the noble thing. And instead just cuts a little piece off his clothes to let him know he was there um, and to show, show how good a job he did and, and lets, him, lets him live. And so he has these moments of showing tremendous character. And again, we're breezing through the story here. I don't have time to hit every detail. But it, eventually, David comes into his full kingship and he becomes king over Israel. Now, David was in many ways a righteous king, Yeah. He had tremendous, um, tremendously good things that happened under his kingship. He, um, again, in the way he responded to Saul, I see tremendous honor in, in the way that he responded to Saul, the way that he acted to him. I, there's tremendous stories of uh, victories where he decided to fight God's way and not man's way and, and led Israel led his mighty men into tremendous victory. And those are amazing, really great stories. Um, he, uh, he, in fact, um, is credited as the one who decided that 
instruments and music should be a consistent part of worshiping God. So even the thing that we just did of playing music and worshiping God was something that was enacted and started by King David who said, hey, no, we need to worship God this way. We need to bring music and sound and write songs. And, and, and he'd give them new songs to sing in front of the Ark of the Covenant, this representation of God's presence and throne on the earth. He would invite them to, to do that. So even, even things that we do to this day are part of the legacy of the way that he loved the Lord and the way that he led his people to do the same. These are great, amazing things. Now, I'll start with the first elephant in the room, which is the one that most of us know and think about. Um, there is this person named Bathsheba. Yeah? Now, Bath, uh, Bathsheba was uh, living up to her namesake. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, uh, it's a very cheesy joke. She was taking a bath. Um, <laughs> it's, if you don't know the story. I know, it's a very embarrassing dad joke. Anyway, um, I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's taking a bath. David is up on the roof. This is during the time the kings should go to war. Uh, and, and David stays back, happens to see bath, Bathsheba. And he says, yeah. Um, uh, now, again, I'm going to be a little bit straightforward about how the story is presented in, in Scripture. Feel free to... Uh, so, again, if you do want to follow along, this is all through uh, First Samuel, um, the, uh, first and Second Samuel. It doesn't get to Bathsheba until Second Samuel, but um, the... Um, um, <clears throat> There's no implication of how uh, interested Bathsheba was in this or, uh, arrangement other than he, as king, in his authority and power, uh, said, hey, yo, bring her to me. Um, and the, the scripture leaves that open other than saying what David decided to do. Um, the, oh, thank you. <laughs> I am thirsty. <laughs> My wife knows me. <laughs> um, so... Um, and so not only does he, he take this person who is not his wife and is in fact someone else's wife, um, he's like, well, we need to solve this problem. Um, let's send your husband to the front lines. That will solve this problem uh, completely. Um, and so David sent his, her husband to the very front lines of a very dangerous battle and what you would expect to happen happened. He, he died. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a bummer. That's, that's a bummer. Uh, and, um, and so the prophet comes to, to David. He's like, hey, you messed up. This, this is not okay. And this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you. This kind of action has a reaction. This, this kind of action has an equal opposite reaction. And, and I'm sorry, but your firstborn son from this union is going to die. It's going to die as a, as a reaction from this action. And that's, that's heavy. And, you know, it, it is good here to point out that this is one of, of, um, uh, of several mistakes that David makes uh, throughout his, his uh, life. Uh, one thing that we can credit David to is he, uh, Dan talked last week about repentance and there are few people as uh, demonstrative and consistent about their repentance than David in, in the Bible. Um, uh, he's tearing his clothes off and running to the temple every time. He's covering, he, he, is, he is very genuine with his re repentance. Um, 
and and he he is also here in this in this place, very very repentant uh, when he's convicted and and has this kind of mirror held up to his actions. I'm, I'm going to pause here and start talking about a culture thing though for a moment. Um, there's more to talk about in this story, but um, we largely history has largely decided that David is a good guy. <laughs> that David is a is a protagonist of this story. Is is the good guy, he's, he's God's choice for king, and so therefore we judge him to be good. Would you, would you say that's largely the perspective that you've been, I don't think we sweep these actions under the rug, but I find that what we often do then is as we're teaching David, because we have judged him to be a good man, we then almost need to justify uh, his actions even with things that are understandably, um, if not justifications, at least signs of his good character, the fact that he is so repentant. But we almost need to... Um, it's funny. Um, if you actually, as it's presented in Scripture, uh, take Saul and take David and measure their infractions against one another, David's list is significantly longer. Significantly longer. <clears throat> now, I have heard preachers say, well, he was God's chosen candidate then because, because of the way he repented, because of the way he had his heart for God. And that is apparent in his character all throughout the story. However, that does not um, necessarily inherently one-to-one remove that he, as it is written, uh, committed more infractions than, than Saul did. Especially because in that mindset, we're still in a performance sort of mindset thinking, well, Saul wasn't the, the right person because he didn't perform correctly is almost the subtext of that. Are you guys tracking with me a little bit so far here? And so that by that implication, we make it by the strength of David's character that he was able to repent and choose to do that. That is why he was God's chosen king over Israel. Now, that's not necessarily wrong. I do think, though, it causes us to want to lionize, to build up the character of David and beat down and tear down the character of Saul and diminish the character of uh, people who we deem bad guys in the Bible and puff up the character of people that we uh, think are good characters in the Bible. And I see this as something that we do in real life as well. When we decide that someone's a good guy, we tend to make excuses for their behavior, uh, uh, inflate the good things that they do, and, and ignore or, or even doubt some of the negative consequences of, of things that they do, yeah? And I pick anyone, from, from actor to politician to neighbor to a football person, you know, I don't uh, watch much of that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a big sports ball guy, so uh, <laughs> just gotta keep it general. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, just lost half the crowd. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> the um, but when we decide, when we decide that someone is a good person, then we tend to inflate their their good strengths, uh, de-emphasize their their failings or their weaknesses or their infractions, and once we decide that someone is a bad guy, we tend to do the exact opposite, which is to deflate their successes, inflate their infractions and uh, uh, build a case against them, largely, you know. Um, now, a large part of that is rooted in because we think what people do 
is what makes them God's choice or not. Now, we've got to be very careful with this, because what I am not saying is that character doesn't matter. <laughs> what I'm not saying is that performance doesn't matter. We did talk about this, like, there are things that you need to do to be a good Christian, to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good friend. There are things that you need to do to do any of those things well, of course. And there is character that supports the doing of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if we get it in our head that because someone is anointed, it is because they have good character, then we do this equation where we make excuses for infractions, we make excuses for failings, and we ignore weaknesses, and we inflate strengths almost to a supernatural level where they just have this grace that's just better than any of us, you know. We do it in subtle ways and we do it in explicit ways. And this, this causes a series of problems. This causes us to not give the feedback that is necessary to anointed people who are human beings. To not do the very thing that is presented in scripture where David got some direct feedback when he made a, a miss. Some very, it's blunt. It is blunt and it is direct. And, uh, and it is clear. And... We, in our culture, I, I would say, would think that that would be very dishonoring to do that to a leader. <laughs> you guys okay? Doing good? Because um, the infractions go on. Uh, we're getting close on time here, so I'm just going to keep rolling. But... Uh, um, so he did repent of, of the, uh, the whole Bathsheba thing. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, his, um, his uh, kids had some problems. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to, to the rest of this story. It's in the, you know, mid-second Samuel, uh, where uh, one of his sons uh, committed sexual assault on someone and incest. And then one son was like, hey, I think I'd make a better king than you. I'm real good looking and have long hair. Uh, that was not his... Only excuse, but um, the <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm going to usurp your kingdom. I'm going to take it over. And it explicitly says David's inaction, his unresponsiveness to these circumstances allowed them to perpetuate and go on further and harm many. Harm many. And uh, again, I don't have time to go into every detail, but in fact... David was so unwilling to uh, uh, push back against his son that it did take an act of God to end the conflict. And yet still David refrained, restrained, and did not, did not uh, respond. Again, he repented. Again, he had that same heart. Again, he was still the man that he had always been. But also, he, he had these deep flaws. Um, Later in his life, this one is maybe hard for us to understand in the modern context, but D David wanted to take a census of all the people and all the, all the people that were in his, his kingdom. And the prophet came to him and said, no, nah, you're not supposed to do that. Don't take a census. That, that might be confusing to, to you and I, but one of the mo more consistent pieces of feedback that the prophets gave to the leaders of Israel all throughout its history was, do not trust in military might, trust in your God. Do not, do not trust, this, this is in Gideon, this is in... Um, uh, uh, Hezekiah, and all these different ones, like, do not trust in just your, your own military might, trust in God. And it was, it was a, one of the mo most consistent pieces of feedback that the prophets gave to the leaders of Israel. 
And so this was an act of, I want to know what I own. I want to know how many, how many uh, uh, men I have of, of fighting age. I want to know what I have. Prophet said you shouldn't do that. Went and did it anyway. And even the person who went to do it knew that you weren't, this is a bad idea. And did, he said he did it reluctantly, you know. And then the prophet came afterwards to David and said, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. You have three choices of what's going to happen now. There, one of these three things is going to happen. Which of these three negative outcomes? Where, where do you want this blowback to, to, to land? And now again, even in the midst of that, David's character shows through. He chooses the one that would affect him the most and the one that puts his, puts his fate most in the hands of God. And so his attitude still comes through. But again, he still did not... Uh, didn't listen to the initial feedback of, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be putting your trust in military might. And David had this beautiful vision. He had the vision of, of music being part of the way that we worship and celebrate who, who God is. He also had this vision of building a, a, a building that was just for God, the most beautiful building in, in human history. He wanted to pour out uh, uh, the wealth of his kingdom on creating this beautiful temple. And God said, you can't do that. You're, you are a man of blood. Uh, kind of the idea of being like, you, you, you have blood on your hands. You can't build something like that for me. I'm, I'm sorry. And so, <clears throat> again, on the other side, David was called a man after God's own heart. David did consistently show this responsive heart to God. He, he again, he's the one who uh, danced naked, uh, not naked, in his underwear before, before the, when the Ark of the Covenant was re returned to, and, and he, you know, he, he, he was all this guy. And so what I, what I want to talk about here is a, a, a performance, when we have a performance culture, when we have a value system that, that believes that how I perform is how much value I have, is how much value others have, I will put an undue level of emphasis on one's personal character. And it will cause me to actually ignore the message of Scripture regarding power and regarding the enacting of God's purposes on the earth, which is that one of the messages through the entire Old Testament and into the New Testament is that, hey, your humanity is going to get in the way all of the time. All of the time. Because no matter how great the victory of David was, and no matter how beautiful a kingdom Solomon created, David's son, um, his son Solomon invited a great number of idols into Israel, which was the main struggle for the rest of Israel's history, the Old Testament. He set it up for some, David set it up for some of its greatest successes and set it up for its main antagonist, its main failure of constantly pulling on and being influenced by other gods in, in the region. Um, what I'm trying to invite you guys into, in, in psychology, in, in counseling and things like that, they call it um, integration. It is, it is when you can take the good parts of your story, the bad parts of your story, and acknowledge that they're both true and part of who you are. And that you are still a loved self in the midst of that integrated reality. David was a man after God's own heart. I will 
even be willing to say, he was good. He was a good man. But even a good man who is chosen by God is still a man. And his failings will cause harm, will cause destruction, will cause pain, will cause disaster. And honestly, the one big piece of character that I can point at is that he never hid from those things. He had the courage to face those things and face the consequences of those things and repent of those things again and again and again. But even despite that, these failings followed him all throughout his entire life and went into the next iteration of the kingdom. Does that make sense to you guys? Um, I, uh, a big, uh, one of the part things that I do is I have the opportunity to travel and speak at conferences and other churches and, and, and things like that. And I've, I've had the opportunity um, to meet lots of people that I would consider heroes of the faith. People, people who have given their lives for God's purpose, given their lives for the kingdom of God. I've, um, and, you know, again, I often have the privilege to, while we're at the conference or something, get to sit down to dinner with, with all these heroes of the faith. And it's always a bit awkward because I'm like usually 20 or 30 years different than everyone else at the table. But um, one of the things that I noticed very quickly when I started to have these opportunities is that while I hear the testimonies that have flown, uh, come from some of these people's lives, I am staggered and think that you must be touched by God in a way that I have not, could not even imagine. When I sit down with them at dinner and hear about the struggles, hear about the pain, hear about the sorrow, hear about the consequences of their humanity that are in the kingdom that they're, a piece of the kingdom that they're in charge of, I realize these are people just like you, just like me, and just like anyone else. And when we have a culture where being a hero of the faith is being better than everyone else, or we believe that because someone has a special anointing or special favor, that means they must have special character, we create an unrealistic expectation of a human being. We set ourselves up for disappointment. We set them up for failure. <laughs> and also, even more than that, we create a scenario where to do something great, you have to be someone great. <laughs> Which diminishes the contribution, the essential contribution that you are meant to bring to this kingdom on the earth. To suggest that because someone gets to have a microphone or gets to have a platform or, or gets to write a book or, or whatever else, that, they, that that is what power in the kingdom looks like or value in the kingdom looks like. And it is... <sighs> It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't respect and honor those things, and it doesn't mean that we don't respect and honor that people. It actually means this reality of every one of those people I've gotten to sat with and see some of the reality in their life, I actually respect them a great deal more. <laughs> I perhaps see them in more reality and, and, and get disillusioned to some of the ideas of what I think it means to be touched by God. But it also makes room for a reality of what it means to be touched by God. And it suddenly makes it something that seems much more in reach. It makes it a kingdom that is much more at hand than, I, than what my mindset before had set it up to be. Does that make sense to you guys? This, um, I'll just wrap up with this and we're getting close to time here. But um, <clears throat> we have to acknowledge that trying to be accepted and loved by our environment 
is a need that we are born with and something that we seek to do from the moment that we make eye contact with another human being. We are built with a fundamental need to be accepted, to be valued in our environment. That often leads to an environment where I feel that I have to perform to be accepted, to be valuable, to be loved. And again, we've talked about this the last few times we've talked about this. I, I, I don't think any of us would disagree that we do live in a culture. I think the, in the culture of the United States, we value performers. We value people who can do well. We value the person who can catch the sports ball and run a uh, <laughs> hundred yards uh, with it. <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> um, I mean, do you guys like that? I think that's cool when someone can do that, especially when other people are trying to make them not do that. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, there's nothing wrong with, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with loving that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with acknowledging that. I, I, I have, I, there's nothing wrong with watching someone who has had an encounter with the Lord be able to articulate that encounter with the Lord with such beauty that you feel like you were in the room too. And, and you feel like your life is changed by hearing someone else's story of their way of encountering God. That's not a bad thing. That's not something to be despised. That is a beautiful exchange of kingdom resources. That is a good thing. The danger is when we are desperately looking for value and see, ooh, that's what valuable looks like. <laughs> valuable is a special thing for special people who get specially anointed by God and are, because they're specially anointed by God, are of unique character. <laughs> Which forces us to try to live up to a narrative about our lives that is not always the reality of our lives. <laughs> Does that make sense? And we actually reinforce that need for a narrative one to another, and it becomes a culture of performance. Does that make sense? <laughs> because we have this weird mutually assured destruction situation of <laughs> pretending like we're not people. <laughs> that we're better than people. <laughs> when there's one hero of the faith, if you want to take that standard, <laughs> in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Everyone else is people. And in some ways, they are greater heroes of the faith because they're flawed human beings who said yes to God again and again and again, who despite their failings, despite their mistakes, despite sometimes disastrous uh, uh, choices with disastrous consequences, the Lord was able to show himself through them still. And the ones who continued to choose to be led by that and to be shaped by that had more and more opportunity to do that for a longer portion of their lives. And it, it, it again, I th would love for us to be able to engage with our own lives and our own community with the same transparency that is found in Scripture about these people of faith. Some part of me thinks that if we wrote the Bible today, we would have decided to omit Bathsheba because it would make David look bad. That we would find ways to dim diminish that, that we'd find ways to kind of slip out of the rug, that we would maybe not even really talk about the, that, that baby that died or talk about that, that, that rebellion that happened and just focus on the Solomon aspect 
I think if we were writing scripture today, we might do that. And I know that's true because that's the way we preach it. <laughs> we talk about those other things way more than we talk about the reality of both sides. Does that make sense? And so this is, this is a challenging thing, and this is, this is an open conversation kind of thing because, okay, great, I'm just going to be as blunt and vulnerable as possible with everybody around me. Well, that's probably not going to work out really great either. <laughs> okay, here's the worst thing I've ever done, guys. No. It starts with recognizing, like, okay, no, I cannot let this false idea that being a good person, being chosen by God, being a follower of God means I need to have perfect character and perfect behavior. It does mean we move towards a standard and towards the standard whose name is Jesus. But it comes, it needs to come with a recognition that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> does that make sense? And that one way that we can really start to change a culture is by being very thoughtful about our conduct when someone, whether it be a leader, a friend, a child, or anyone else, shows us their humanity, how we decide to respond. Do we respond in a way that rewards them for showing their humanity or punishes them for showing our humanity? Because when we think about what we do, um, that's how you build a culture, is what you reward and what you punish. So with that said, uh, if you guys would stand up right here. <laughs> yeah, so Lord, we just, um, just want to stand before you, Lord. We want, we want to let you influence us, Lord. We don't... We don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We do not want our value system, our, our understanding of performance, of, of perfection, of excellence. We do not want those things to be shaped by this world. We want those, the, those ideas to be shaped by you, Lord. Lord, we recognize that, that, that there is a good chance that every single one of us has developed an unhealthy picture of what it means to be a hero of the faith, of what kind of person is a hero of the faith of the kind of character that must be assumed by someone who, who could have such amazing testimonies or such amazing stories. And we recognize that that belief system is part of reinforcing a culture of performance, a culture that, 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 that does not, um, that actually rejects repentance and, 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 and instead reinforces hiding and sneaking and, and um, and and performing in, in the worst way of, of trying to act like something that you don't really believe that you are. And so, Lord, we just invite the kind and gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit to reshape these pathways in our heart, to reshape these pathways in our mind, to cause us to think differently. And we open our eyes and we look into your word and see that you did not pull any punches in telling the truth about the story of the people that you chose, Lord. That, that, that even for, for whatever reason, these people decided to, re to allow themselves to be represented this way in Scripture. And so, Lord, we ask for the courage to have the kind of vulnerability that is present in Scripture, that is present in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's present with the disciples, that's present with, with, with Paul and, and the 
the way that he even talked about himself, that, that's, that, that is so clearly present in the people who dedicated their lives to following you, Lord. So we ask that the, the same willingness to be open, to be vulnerable, to live a lifestyle of pre- uh, repentance would not be some shameful thing, that, that repentance would no longer be a shameful thing that we sometimes have to do, but a recognized and valued part of our daily life and a recognized and valued part of perpetuating your kingdom on the earth. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.